Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. thank Pastor Tim for the opportunity to uh, be with you and speak to you today. Uh, somebody uh, said, hey, uh, this better be good. And I said, I, you can decide later. I'm not sure. Uh, this is a, a, the last part of a three-part series uh, from Micah. Do justice, love mercy, or love kindness, and walk humbly. I would suggest to you that all three of these topics get kind of tied up together Uh, One of the jobs of a preacher is to take a sermon series that can kind of get mixed in together and keep them separate. Imagine a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, after a while it all kinds of kind of runs together. So you may catch a little bit of justice, you may catch a little bit of mercy and kindness today, but there's one thing that I I want to, I, I notice as I look at these three, is that really to have the first two, to live out justice, to live out kindness or mercy, you've got to have a little bit of humble. We see people on TV all the time squawking about justice, oh, what they're doing, oh, how it must be. And it just doesn't taste very good because it just comes across kind of arrogant. And we see people do kind things. My brother-in-law had a neighbor that bragged to him, I give 10% to my church. You know, it kind of smells bad when we do good things, but the heart doesn't seem to quite be there. Humility is probably not an easy topic to discuss. Uh, The preacher's preparing for a sermon on humility The sermon today is on humility. I have several really important things to say. Uh, uh, So we'll just kind of fumble through this the best uh, we can. I want to suggest to you that humility is a recurring theme throughout Scripture. Lots of famous passages about humility. A very familiar one is from 1 Chronicles If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, you're probably familiar with that one. There's this passage from Micah. There's others in the Old Testament in the book of James. Uh, We remember that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. In Romans 12, Paul reminds us that a man should not think more highly of himself than he ought. And In a beautiful, beautiful picture of humility, John the Baptist says of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. My friend Joy Steincross hated sermons on humility. 
she would come up to me after church whenever I had one that sort of smacked of that topic. She says, I was raised in the South. I don't need to hear anything more about, about humility. And I remember as, as a young man in church uh, being taught about humility and hearing sermons on humility and thinking about it. And, and, and my thinking kind of went like this. Hopefully you did better than, than I did, but my brain said, okay, all right, today we're going to exercise humility. So I'm going to press myself down for a little bit. I'm going to go do something humble, and then when it's over, I'm going to come back and throw that off of my shoulder and get back to life the way it was. I want to suggest to you today that a discussion of humility doesn't have to feel heavy, shouldn't feel like a load of bricks on our back, that there ought to be a way to talk about humble and gracious and, and kind in a way that feels light and buoyant and helpful. Uh, and what a nice segue to one of my pictures from Egypt. Oh, I guess they're over there. So um, I just came back from three weeks in Israel and Egypt. Pastor Tim said, just show pictures. They'll love it. Uh, here's a picture depicting what happens to someone as they prepare to enter the afterlife. You can see the scale, the balances. And on one side of the scale is the person's heart. This, by the way, is from the Egyptian Book of the Dead, which is like 1200 BC, so it's a very old picture, and it's in lots of, of, of places. Uh, on one side of the scale is the person's heart. On the other side of the scale is a feather. And the teaching was that if your heart was light as a feather, you could enter eternity. But if you had a heavy heart, you could not so hence today we have this phrase of being heavy-hearted or light-hearted. And as we think of following Jesus, as we think of, of what it means to, to find a life of mercy, grace, humility, and love, I would like to think that that would make us feel light and joyful and good, not heavy. So if you had to define humble, how would you do it? Um, um, as I think about this, I realize that I can define unhumble uh, much easier than I can define humble. So those who are unhumble are loud, really loud, repeatedly loud, on and on again loud. They tend to be self-absorbed. You remember the Kennel Ration commercial, my dog's bigger than your dog. Uh, they're always right. They don't pay any attention to anything outside of themselves. It's all about them. And so on this, this trip uh, that I was gone for, for three weeks, myself and another friend were sort of the, the leaders. And one of the things we worked hard at doing was creating a, a culture that felt like community where people would enjoy the trip and get along and kind of self-suppress any negativity. And oh, it worked wonderfully, such a good bunch. And then the last seven days of the trip, we were joined by three couples that weren't a part of our original group, and they didn't get the uh, preemptive instructions about kindness and grace. And we had one couple, mm, right from the get-go, unhappy, complaining, telling everyone how much money they had, how great they were. And you know what happens when people act like that? 
we humans naturally just spool away from people that act like that. And then there was another couple, a retired couple from Texas, a retired Methodist minister. How about that? So kind and gracious. Everyone loved hanging around them. It's, it's hard to define humility, but we know clearly what unhumble looks like. Well, why do you think we're not humble? Too many pages here. Why do you think we're not humble? Well, I think one of the reasons we're not humble is because we're born selfish. <sighs> hey, I love babies. Uh, my daughter is getting ready to have our second grandchild. I love babies. Babies are great. Babies are sweet. Babies are innocent. But babies are also pretty self-absorbed. Hey, feed me. Clothe me. Hold me. Repeat. Feed me. You know, it's, we're just born self-absorbed. And even with teaching along the way to, to try to change that, most of us find ourselves as young adults, which for most of us was a few years back, with selfishness as an integral part of who we are. And this is another reason why it's hard to discover and embrace and take in a sense of humility because it's, it's just the opposite of who we are. We, by nature, as adults, tend to be selfish. We tend to interpret everything in terms of how it affects us. And try, though we may, and try, I hope you do, and try, may we all continue. There are thousands of roads back into selfishness. Tens of thousands of roads back. About the time I'm feeling, oh, that was so kind of me. I catch myself an hour later or the next day going, oh my, that wasn't very nice at all. What, what happened to me? We just go right back to how we uh, are. Um, Paul talks about the war between the spirit and the flesh. I've come to believe that whatever you think of sin, however you define it, whatever your list of sins are, all of them pretty much go back to selfishness, that the root sin is that we've made it about us. Thirdly, I think people are, are not humble because for a lot of people, there's a huge emptiness inside. You know, they grew up, they have an adult body, they put on the adult-sized clothes, but there's a huge emptiness and so they need to tell everyone how important they are. Something inside of them is, is crying out for attention. This is why if we would ever find a, a healthy walk with God where um, we can begin to emulate love, kindness, joy, grace, and, and, and humility, we've got to come to believe that, that we're okay. That love your neighbor as yourself really means love your neighbor as yourself because if you're not okay with you it's hard to let God come in and do the things in and through you that he might want to do so uh, what to do uh, how do we change how do we move from what comes naturally to us to something different uh, to, to walking a humble life with God uh, you remember the book, The Purpose Driven Life? Rick Warren, where is he now? Wrote a bestseller and just fell off the face of the earth. I'm sure he's doing something. 
I never had so many people in my office as after that book came out and people came in and they said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I said, what, did you read The Purpose Driven Life? Yes, and I don't know what my purpose is. You know, the opening line of Purpose Driven Life, and I've probably told you this, the opening, the opening sentence of the book, A Purpose Driven Life, is it's not about you. It's not about me. And change to a different way of thinking, to a different way of, of living, begins with a recognition that a change is needed. And sometimes we don't get that until we realize that there are things out there that are bigger and more important than us. Now, I just came back from Egypt, and um, I saw some things that were bigger and amazing. And one of the nice things about seeing things that are big and amazing, they help us realize how, well, I'm just a regular guy. These are some of the pillars from the Temple of Karnak. And if you've ever heard people say that aliens helped build the things in Egypt, the, the picture doesn't do justice for how big they are. Not, I mean, girthy and height. I looked at them and I thought, well, of course aliens did this. Who could, what humans could possibly do something like this? What's next? Uh, you know, and it's not just the size, it's the carvings, the hieroglyphs, the writing, the pictures on every monument, on every temple, in every tomb, the, the efforts that these people went through to, to get their message out. It's just in, incredibly different and incredibly bigger than what I think and do in my life. And then we have uh, the Avenue of Sphinxes. So the Temple of Karnak is at one end of the city of Thebes, uh, today it's called Luxor, and at the other end of the city is the Temple of Luxor. So Temple of Karnak, Temple of Luxor, they were connected by a road. It's actually been excavated and reopened now, 1.7 mile road connecting the temples that is lined on either side with these sphinxes. Now a lot of them are gone, but to just look at this and think of the time it took to carve seven or eight hundred of these, there's something bigger out there in the world than me. And then we have, oh, it's a mortar and pestle. It's a bowl and a chopping thing. And what happens in that bowl? This one's from ancient Egypt, but they've been used for centuries in all cultures. You put the grain in, and you chop it up, you grind it up, and it makes meal. And when I see these things, it's a beautiful illustration of, unfortunately, what needs to happen in our lives. There needs to be a breaking, a crushing of, of our ideas that we're bigger, that we know a breaking down of the concept that it's about me or that I know or that I'm in charge. And, and that's not easy. But when that happens, it makes good 
bread. You know, everybody wants to be good. I, th I think maybe some people don't want to be good for others, but I think good people want to be good for others. But if we're going to be good for others, we've got to be willing to let the arrogance and the natural human inclinations to be a know-it-all. We need to let those things get, get broken and moved out so God can use us to feed his people. Another step to change, and I think this happens when we realize things are bigger than us, we stop talking. Wow. Wow, look at that. One of the huge steps on the road to finding grace and love and kindness and humility is just for once for me to just stop talking and begin to listen. My mom always said, there's more Horatio than is dreamt of in your philosophy. And I didn't know what it meant. And if she were alive today, she'd probably say, I still don't know what it means. But, but to learn to listen to others. You know, we don't learn from people that are just like us. If the people you're having coffee with are of the same neighborhood, the same political persuasion, and think of everything the same as you, we don't learn anything from people like that. You want to learn, make a friend of someone who sees the world differently. Take them in and listen and see where your life can go. Once upon a time, uh, I like stories. Once upon a time, this is not a true story, so don't be upset. Once upon a time, uh, God gave a man three wishes. And the man said, oh, thank you very much. My wife's been driving me crazy. I would like to attend her funeral. Uh, that's not very nice, is it? It's just a story. So poof, you know, the, the, the woman passes away, and, and, and the guy says, oh, yeah. You know, sometimes we get what we want, and we find out it's not what we want. He gets to the funeral, and he sees all the people mourning and crying, and they're all extolling the virtues of his his now deceased wife, he says, my gosh, I didn't know that about her. I didn't know that she was that amazing. I didn't know that she was that... I, I didn't know. I'm so sorry. Uh, God, for my second wish, can I have my wife back? Poof, he's got his wife back. Sometimes, be careful what you ask for. So now he's got one wish left, and he doesn't know what to do. Some of his friends say... Ask for all the money in the world. Someone said, ask for long life. Someone said, ask for lots of children. Ask for good health. And finally the man said, Lord, I don't know what to ask for. I, I just kind of made a mess of all of it. But you know. So would you please bring to me what you think is good for me. To find this life where we're in step with our Father takes a breaking, a stop talking, a listening, and then a consideration of others. It can start in many ways, but you know, we know, 
to turn away from thinking about ourselves, to turn toward thinking about others, is a massive cultural change. I used to tell married folks, go home and lose an argument. What? What? Yeah. Go home and give up. Go home and lose an argument. Imagine with me a self-absorbed person's first act of kindness. How would that feel? Imagine they realize that they can get themselves out of the way and they do so. Imagine them expending themselves for another. Oh, all of a sudden, a light bulb turns on and they remember the teachings of Jesus. The last will be first. The greatest among you will be the one who serves out of Bethlehem, lowly Bethlehem, will come a king. It's the way of God. It's the way of Jesus. It's a Jesus thing. To be used by him, to be a part of what he's trying to do, we've got to learn that he must increase and I must decrease. Well, I... Uh, in my old age, I'm thinking a lot about the difference between believing in Jesus and following Jesus. You know, you can believe in Jesus and be full of yourself. For years, my Christian life was all about believing in Jesus, and I was full of it. I would tell you, this is how you must believe it. And if you don't, then you're believing it wrong. When we stop worrying about believing it just right and begin to think about following there's a completely different posture that we come to when we begin to follow him we recognize that Jesus way is different than our way that Jesus has some ideas and some plans and some people to reach that weren't on my agenda we begin to lose our lives to find it well I think the ultimate goal of uh a discussion about humility or grace or mercy or kindness or love, whatever we want to call it, is that it would become a natural part of who we are. Not just something that we discussed on Sunday morning and then forgot on the way home. Not just something that we studied on Wednesday night during the Lenten study and then forgot when we got home. But something that became a natural part of who we are, how we live. Uh, a few weeks ago, January 22nd, Pastor Tim referenced one of my favorite passages, Matthew 25, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was in prison and you visited me. And what did the righteous say? What? When did we do that stuff? I don't, what? What are you talking about? It becomes such a part of who they were Living a life of kindness and grace became such a part of who they were, they, they no longer recognized it as extraordinary. It stopped feeling like they were leaving their normal life to do something kind because their normal life had become an example of kindness and grace. 
One of my friends who read my sermon notes said, don't share those old stories. People don't like those old stories. And I said, you know what? You can leave those out if you want, but I love stories. And so two monks, they never argued for 40 years. They never argued. One day, one monk said to the other, don't you think we should have an argument at least one? At least one, one time so we can say that we did. The other monk said, okay, fine, fine. Well, let's start. What, what should we argue about? Mm, the first monk says, how about this piece of bread? The second monk says, okay, fine, let's argue about the bread. The first monk said, the bread is mine. It is mine. The second monk said, eh, well, if it is, take it. That's it. That's it. Imagine a life. Imagine practicing a life where acts of kindness were no longer even recognized by you as something special because it's what you and I did every day, every hour, every moment. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Um, I hope you have some sort of a regular devotional life. Uh, something that you read daily or weekly. Uh, probably my favorite is Richard Rohr, Father Richard Rohr, Catholic priest, kind of uh, not in the mainstream, imagine that. And uh, uh, thankfully, coincidentally, uh, his, one of his devotions this week was on this passage on do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. And what he said, I've already said this morning, but you're my prisoners. Uh, he said, doing justice is not an act from time to time. He said, put on the mantle, wear the coat, make it a part of everything you do. Love mercy. Uh, this week I listened to the, um, I want to say inauguration, that's not in the installation service of our new bishop, Tom Berlin. You know we have a new bishop, his name is Tom Berlin. And in his sermon, this is great, I love this. He said, I was praying, I was telling the Lord, I'm a bishop. I said, dear Lord, I'm now Bishop Tom Berlin. He said, Jesus, Jesus replied, I know Tom. See, the point of that is that Jesus didn't care that he was a bishop. He was just Tom, just Tom. Uh, he was telling the story. He was talking about, about kindness and, and, and love, which is a great topic, of course. I mean, it's really what Christianity is all about, right? Take that away, and what's left? Nothing. And he's talking about the story of the Good Samaritan. And he said, imagine the Methodists get so touched and so moved that when they're involved in the story of the Good Samaritan, they're the religious people that don't pass by. That the story in the future becomes known not as the Good Samaritan, but as the Good Methodists. For once they stopped thinking about religious things, pious things, and just stopped to show love to a broken purpose. He said, I guess that probably wouldn't be very good for the Samaritan. He'd be out of work. 
You know, imagine the next Jesus movie where he shows up on the set hoping to get a part and Jesus says, that's okay, we don't need you, Samaritan. The Methodists are here. Love, mercy, so much that you don't pass by. To walk humbly, it takes an honest understanding of who we are. I hope you have a friend that you sit with. I have a lot of friends in my hometown. I have a friend in Sebastian that I get together with a couple of times a week. You know, the kind of person that you can just kind of sit there and talk or not. You can just be in each other's presence. You can just enjoy sitting there. Nothing has to be said. Imagine we cultivate and build that kind of relationship with Jesus where we sit with him and nothing has to be said but just being around him the kindness, the graciousness the compassion for others begins to rub off so that when we get up from that table we're walking his way we're living it out. So last Sunday I came to church and everyone was wearing gray Love Your Neighbor shirts, Operation Love Your Neighbor shirts. Um, I'd like to ask a question. Who's in charge of the shirts? Raise your hand. I'm not leaving till you tell me. Who ordered the shirts? Where's Arlene? Where'd the, Greg Rogolino? Okay, all right, he's not here today. I want a shirt. I wasn't here. But I want, I want a shirt. I loved it. I mean, they just came back from a trip. Um, I have a hundred excuses. Uh, my cousin was getting married. I broke my arm. I, I couldn't make it. Uh, but I want the shirt. I, I, I love this idea that we're getting together and as a community, we're going to do some wonderful kindness things. But you know what I love more about Operation Love Your Neighbor is that it's more than just a Saturday thing once a year. Operation Love Your Neighbor invites all of us to remember that MRC or the fire station or whatever ministry you happen to be out involved with, that you can do that next month too. It's an invitation for our brains to make a paradigm change and to bring into our life a regular uh, act of behavior of kindness. And, and more, more than that, it's an invitation for us to think that Operation Love Your Neighbor ultimately is an everyday thing. I want the shirt. Greg, I want the shirt. But what if, what if today I told you, for today, this is my Love Your Neighbor shirt. What if I told you Kathy Rice was wearing a red love your neighbor shirt? What if I told you my friend Lynn is wearing a peach love your neighbor shirt? I don't know about you, when I get home I'm going to change my clothes. Whatever it is, it ought to be a love your neighbor shirt. And so friends, we are invited.
not just to believe, but to live a life that thinks of justice, mercy, humility, kindness, and love every day as we walk with God. Let's pray. Lord, may one little seed fall somewhere. May one little seed fall and sprout. May your words find their way into our hearts, into my heart, this day and always, that we might be there for a hurting world. In Jesus' name, amen.